People all over the world are just beginning to talk about the Beatles. My model of business is the Beatles. You know, they were four very talented guys. One, two, three. Hello, my name's Paul McCartney. This is Ringo Starr. This is John Lennon. I'm George Harrison. Welcome back to another episode of the Here, There, and Everywhere podcast. I'm your host, Jack Wallace. I'm thrilled to bring you another exciting episode, this time featuring the incredibly talented Alison Brown. Alison is a Grammy-winning musician known for her work as a banjo player, a bluegrass guitarist, composer, and producer. She's released 12 critically acclaimed albums and is one of the most important and innovative minds in today's music scene. She's toured with Alison Krauss and Union Station and Michelle Schacht before forming her own group, the Alison Brown Quartet, in 1993. Her banjo has been described by Billboard magazine as comparable to the inescapable beauty and sonic uniqueness of James Taylor's voice or B.B. King's guitar. She's also the co-founder of music label Compass Records, which has been called one of the greatest independent labels of the last decade. In today's episode, we'll delve into Allison's love for the Beatles and how their music has influenced her career. We'll be discussing Allison's new album on banjo that's released on May 5th, and we'll even talk about the time she met Ringo Starr and saw Paul McCartney perform live. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming Alison Brown to Here, There, and Everywhere. Hey, Alison, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Jack. Of course. Allison, I'm so excited to ask you a lot of questions today about your music career because it's been extremely impressive to say the least. But I'd like to start by asking you a few questions about the Beatles. Do you remember when you first heard the Beatles music? Yeah. um, Well, I was taking guitar lessons when I was about probably nine years old growing up in Connecticut. So it would have been in the 70s, like early 70s. And I can remember... um, you know, George Harrison's Here, Come, Here Comes the Sun. That was that and um, Blackbird are the two Beatles songs that probably imprinted first for me. Great introductory songs. Absolutely. Especially for someone learning to play guitar at that time. It's like it was like required listening and essential learning. And how old were you when you decided to play the guitar and what led you to pick up the banjo? I was about almost nine years old when I started the guitar. And, um, you know, it was during the great folk scare of like the late sixties. Well, for me, it was like early seventies. Um, it was just a time when folk music was like really everywhere and people strumming guitars was really kind of part of the mainstream culture. So my parents were taking guitar lessons and they showed me a few chords and then finally decided that I was good enough to have my own guitar lessons. And, um, yeah, my first guitar teacher taught me those, those couple of Beatles songs. Um, but it turned out that he was also a banjo player. So he brought over a copy of the Flat and Scruggs Foggy Mountain Banjo record. And that's what made me want to learn to play the banjo. Uh, but my first instrument was the guitar, like fingerstyle guitar. And I, I still love that. And did you feel instantly connected with bluegrass music and hearing the banjo? Um, that's a really interesting question. Uh, well, I felt instantly captivated by it. Like when I first heard Earl Scruggs play like that rapid fire banjo and it's like, you know, 
I mean, that, that style of banjo playing was popularized by the Beverly Hillbillies and also the movie Bonnie and Clyde, which had Foggy Mountain Breakdown as a theme song. So, like, I loved the sound of the instrument, but at the same time, it really felt like it was coming from a different America than the one I was growing up in, which was an interesting aspect of the folk revival. Because in the case of bluegrass music, of course, it came from Southern Appalachia and from, like, a, agrarian Southern culture and the expression of that culture, like, confronting the changes of industrialization after World War II and like around that time. And so, and I was in um, on the East Coast in Connecticut and then later in Southern California. So it wasn't a part of my culture. Um, so I felt a connection to it that wasn't like intuitive in a way. You know what I mean? Oh, that's interesting. Why did you feel that connection? I don't know. I just loved the sound of the instrument and I really wanted to learn how to play it. And then as I learned to play it, I became really enamored of Southern culture but I wasn't a Southerner. And that's the, like the interesting thing about the folk revival, really. It's like, it was because of the folk revival that Flatt and Scruggs played at Carnegie Hall and started to play at college campuses. So it was taking like regional folk music and bringing it to like a more mainstream audience or certainly taking it outside of its culture. And that's how I discovered it. So it was, it was really a great moment for music. And of course, like the Beatles were thick in that whole time too. So, you know, I have two kids. Um, one of them is, uh, 20 years old and she's a student at Berkeley College of Music. She's a junior there. And like whenever I ask her, like, what period of time do you wish you could live in other than the present? She always says the 1970s because of the music. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Allison, when did you first get started writing your own songs and who did you look to for inspiration? That is also a really good question. Um, you know, I, I was playing a long time before I started to write tunes that I felt like weren't like just obviously derivative. I think one of the challenges of playing bluegrass banjo, like the Earl Scruggs style, is that a lot of it's built out of a roll pattern. <clears throat> so it's really hard like to make a song built out of a roll pattern that doesn't sound like something Earl Scruggs already did. Um, so it took me a while. It wasn't really until I was in my late 20s that I started to write tunes that I felt like were really could stand alone as you know strong compositions. And I think part of that is because I really feel as as a, as writers, we sort of are what we eat. And I think, you know, like you you have all these ideas that are swirling around you and like, you know, kind of percolating in your mind. And it just takes time for you to recombine those ideas in a way that's fresh enough to really be called like something original. So would you say that Earl Scruggs is your biggest inspiration then? Oh, well, there are, there are so many, you know, like he was my springboard into banjo. But before banjo, there was the guitar. And I loved like working on like ragtime stuff or like Merle Travis was a huge inspiration for that fingerstyle guitar. And of course, like like bringing it back to the Beatles and thinking about melodies that just are just such incredible melodies that you just almost can't ruin them with an interpretation. I mean, it's 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 insane how many Beatles tunes have those kinds of melodies that are just undeniable, almost like um, facts of science or nature or something, you know, like pi r squared or some of the Beatles melodies. Like to me, they're the same kind of thing. They're just like these perfect constructs. Yes, totally. It feels like the Beatles songs are like part of nature and yeah. they've just always been there, you know? Exactly. And it's crazy too. It's like, you know, thinking about it and thinking about, you know, some of their tunes and thinking about 
I mean, to me, they're as much a part of the lexicon as something like my darling Clementine or my Bonnie lies over the ocean or whatever. There's so much a part of um, just our musical makeup now. They just they can't be denied. That's a, that's what an achievement that is. And to have so many melodies like that. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, I, I have two kids. My other kid is 15. And they're both Beatles obsessives. And my husband is too. And we have like every book and every possible remastering of every possible recording in this house. Um, and my and a lot of people that I know, especially like my husband, he's a bass player. And he got into music because of the Beatles. And a lot of musicians, you know, I'd say that are kind of 50s up will say, I got into music because of the Beatles. I got into music because of Earl Scruggs. But I play with a lot of people that would say, yep, it was the Beatles that made me want to play in a band. And the Beatles also experimented with a lot of different styles and sounds over the course of their career. And I've noticed that this is something that you do as well when it comes to blending genres of music together. And you do it in such a smooth way. Thanks. As a musician, how do you approach experimentation in your own music? And how do you make it sound authentic? Um, well, in a way, like when it comes to hybrids, I think part of the trick is not trying to make it sound authentic. Um, like for example, on my new record, there's, I wrote a Shora, which is a traditional Brazilian kind of folk tune, uh, to play with a not Cohen, who's an amazing Israeli jazz clarinet player, but she loves Brazilian music. And so our interpretation of it, like, I, th I think that if we try to make it like literally in the style of a Brazilian choro, it wouldn't be as, as successful as trying to say, I'm going to take a little bit of that idea, but I'm going to bring in a little bit of like, you know, bluegrass inspired banjo technique to the task of playing it and then trying to make something fresh. So I think, and, and that's one of the things that I think is really interesting about the times that we live in musically, because, you know, if you went back in time for years even, and think about music as being partitioned off by racks in a in a record store. Like things have to be filed under. Like what genre does this go under? File under. And I feel like now people are starting to think about music like in terms of vibe. Like what vibe do I file this music under? Which is really interesting because then it's like it makes that coupled with the technology that we get to enjoy now. Like everything's on YouTube. I mean, it gets to it gives us an opportunity to create some really like historically unprecedented hybrids. Like there are fewer barriers, fewer limitations, and all of a sudden, like everything's at our fingertips. So it's a really exciting time to be a creative, you know? Yeah, definitely. And that's something that I noticed in Spotify. They don't have genres anymore on their mm -hmm. platform. And right. their organization is now geared towards playlists and vibes, mm -hmm. like you said. Exactly. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, it is really cool. Um, it's it's a really interesting thing, and a lot of people are talking about that. I'm I'm on the board of the Recording Academy, um, and you know we talk about that too. It's like you know what cat like a lot of the challenge if you think about the Grammy Awards is what category should this record go in, and at some point it's like when will categories not be a part of the conversation? That will create its own confusion, but in a way that seems to be the way. Like you said, playlists categorize things by vibe, not genre. So it's, it's a really interesting time. Now, one of the coolest things about your career is that you've collaborated 
with tons of notable musicians. And even on your upcoming album, there are a few notable collaborations. The Beatles had a strong sense of camaraderie and collaboration within their band. How important is collaboration to you as a musician, and how has it impacted your work? Um, well, it, that's a really good question too, Jack. I'm, I'm, I really see myself as a collaborator more than a like um, kind of lone wolf. <laughs> I really enjoy like making music with other people. I rarely play solo. I really like playing in the context of a band really like the democratic process within the context of a band and like onboarding everybody's ideas when we're in the studio or working on an arrangement for something. And it's never a case of here's the, here's the chart. This is what we're doing. Just play what's written. It's always a case of here's what I've got, but I'm wide open to input. And I think that that's the best way to build a musical tapestry. And then when it comes to working with other people, I mean, you just get so much out of other people's perspectives and creative spirits that, um, it just seems very natural to me to want to incorporate that into what I do. Now, is there anyone that you have not collaborated with yet that you would like to in the future? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, I'm a huge James Taylor fan, and I know a bunch of the people in his band, and I've gotten to collaborate with some of them. Um, Steve Gadd played on our last record, and Andrea Zahn, who's been with, with him for the last 20 or 25 years, is a really good friend. Um, but yeah, that would be somebody I would love to do something with at some point. That would sound great. <laughs> uh, yeah, it would sound great, I think. Well, I mean, he would sound great, and I would endeavor <laughs> to sound as good as I could, for sure. <laughs> so speaking of your career, in hindsight, do you have any favorite moments that you'd like to share? Mm, favorite moments? Well, yeah, I mean, I been really fortunate to get to do a lot of super cool things um well talking about collaboration I think a favorite moment for me was getting to work with Bobby Osborne who is I don't know if you're familiar with the Osborne brothers if you yeah. like bluegrass music you've heard the song Rocky Top yeah, yeah yeah Bobby sang Rocky Top so he's the voice of Rocky Top and the Osborne brothers were a really cutting edge brother duo bluegrass band in the 60s in fact they had like number one country chart records which was pretty astounding for for a bluegrass act which they really were and so I produced a record for Bobby that's called original came out I think in 2018 and um, he's when I did the record he was 86 and getting to work with an octogenarian legend that was pretty remarkable I think in part because of everything he's accomplished but also in part because of like this cross-cultural thing that we were talking about at the beginning you said like he's sort of the embodiment of the culture that gave rise to bluegrass music. He grew up in Hyden, Kentucky in a, like a one room cabin and his family cut peat to stay warm. Like that's kind of his upbringing. And that's what gave rise to bluegrass music. And so it's this music that really called to me, but that wasn't the culture that I grew up in. So that, that to get to have a musical collaboration with somebody from those roots was really meaningful. Are there any Beatles songs or albums that have been particularly influential to you or have changed the way that you view music? Well, um, I worked with Alison Krauss for about three years, and one of the songs we always did was I Will, which is a great tune on the banjo. Um, 
and I was really enjoyed when that one came up on the set list. I mean, it, that's a great example of a tune that can cross over into a bluegrass setting. Um, and, you know, we've been messing around as a band with uh, Norwegian Wood, which also is a great tune on double C tuned banjo, usually banjo is tuned to a G chord, an open G chord. But the, our version of Here Comes the Sun is in a double C tuning, which is more of an old time tuning. And it allows you to have like these, like these two drone strings, a low C and, and a higher C. And so on Norwegian wood, the same tuning works really well. It kind of almost suggests the sound of the sitar a little bit to hear like the melody with that drone, the drony C notes. So those are two. And then obviously, you know, Blackbird, I think would make a great banjo tune, maybe double banjo tune or maybe a banjola tune. I'm kind of messing around with that. Allison, you just mentioned Here Comes the Sun. And on your new album that's coming out, you do a really cool mashup of Here Comes the Sun and Waters of March titled Sun and Water. Can you tell us about this? Sure. Um, well, it kind of grew out of the pandemic, really. Uh, I have uh, some college pals who were doctors up in, in New York City during the pandemic, the early days of the pandemic, which were, you know, where it was just so devastating. And um, they're talking about, you know, playing Here Comes the Sun for discharged COVID page, patients, the ones that were able to make it out of the hospital. And I just thought that that was, I've always loved the song, but it just seemed so timely at that moment, you know, so I started messing around with the tune and it just laid perfectly on the banjo. It's like it was, could have been written on the banjo. It lays that well in double C tuning. And at the same time, I was messing around with Jobim. Uh, I have a Jobim chord book, um, Antonio Carlos Jobim, who wrote Waters of March and Girl from Ipanema. It's sort of the father of the bossa nova sound. And those guitar voicings are just so gorgeous. So I was messing around with that. And then it just really occurred to me that the two tunes had a certain musical kinship. So I was started to try to figure out how could I kind of weave them together? And that's how we ended up with sun, sun and water. So here comes the sun is the sun and waters of March is the water. That's awesome. And what else can we expect to hear on this new record? Well, a lot of collaborations. I mentioned um, getting to play with Anat Cohen, which was super cool. Um, I did a track with Sharon Isbin, who's a great classical guitar player. In fact, I think she's, she's the first classical guitarist to ever win a Grammy for classical guitar solo performance. So she's, she's a real badass. Um, I co-wrote a tune with Steve Martin, also in double C tuning, because that turns out to be a favorite tuning of his for the banjo. And um, that was a lot of fun, marrying the claw hammer style, just more of a finger style with three finger scrug style banjo. Um, and a couple other collaborations, one with Sierra Hall, who's a virtuoso mandolin player. Another with Stuart Duncan, who's a old pal, like one of the most amazing fiddle players you'll ever hear. He's somebody who we started off playing bluegrass festivals together. And he's, you know, toured with Diana Krall and Elvis Costello and Robert Plant. And he's he's an, uh, just an amazing musician. And then I did a string quartet um, piece with Kronos um, Quartet. So it really kind of runs the gamut of different things that you can do with a five-string banjo. And when is this going to be released, and where can people find this project? Well, it comes out on Cinco de Mayo, also known as May 5th. And um, you can find it on any digital service platforms and in stores, too. Or it's coming out on Compass Records, which is a label I co-founded about 30 years ago. And uh, we still make all of our music available 
in physical form. So there'll be CDs, LPs, and of course, um, every kind of digital file that you might dream of. Now, aside from Beatles songs that are inspirational to you, do you have any songs that are just your favorites? Oh, The Long and Winding Road for a melody. And that, that's just a great melody. That one never gets old. And there are so many. Um, like I said, I, I live in a household of Beatles obsessives, so they would be, if they weren't in school, they would be screaming in my ear their, their favorites. But that would be probably my number one favorite of, of all the ones we've talked about. Now, did you guys happen to watch the Get Back documentary? Yes, we did. What did you think of that? I thought it was incredible. I mean, as somebody who's been in bands, just watch like the music stuff aside, which is extraordinary, and watching the creation of like those amazing tunes. Just the band dynamics is something that I found really fascinating as somebody who's been in a lot of bands. Uh, but yeah, that was just like what a gift that we have that footage and, and we can have that insight. I thought it was amazing. You know, a lot of musicians I talked to actually mention that they enjoyed watching them struggle through uh, the creative process and have not arguments, but just disagreements because it, it really humanizes them and they're kind of taken down from this pedestal and which it really makes you appreciate their music even more. Yeah, that's true. I mean, because you're right. You really do get to see their human side and their other relationships too. I mean, seeing Linda and Yoko, of course, and just like the scene in the studio. They, yeah, they, they definitely were human, but they were channeling something that was totally beyond human too. I'm just trying to think of other Beatle connectivity. I mean, at Compass Records, we work with Colin Hay and um, I've recorded with Colin and we've put out a lot of Colin's records too. He's an amazing artist, but he tours with Ringo um, in the, in the all-star band. And we went to see their show at the Ryman Auditorium a couple summers ago and um, actually got to introduce our then, you know, 10-year-old to Ringo. And he couldn't have been like, he's he's still the envy of all of his classmates that he has to <laughs> photograph himself with Ringo Starr, but he couldn't have been more gracious wow. and uh, encouraging about our son's musical pursuits. That is so awesome. And um, we also work with Robbie McIntosh and Hamish Stewart, and they both played in the McCartney band. So everything's like one degree of separation. Now, have you seen Paul play live at all? Yeah, we. Um, I think the first time we saw him, we were down in Memphis, and we'd just gotten off the off the road doing a tour uh, that, like, one of the artists on the tour was Gatemouth Brown, and we ran into Gatemouth on the street, and he's like, "Come with me," and he took us into this club. It was, I think, BB King was playing, and then like the members of the of uh, the McCartney band all came in and started jamming, which is really incredible. We, but we'd just seen McCartney's show in Memphis. So and we've seen him a few times since. And uh, it's incredible. We've taken our kids to see to see him. Last time he was here, in fact, at the Bridgestone Arena. What do you think of his shows? I mean, he's like, he's like 80 years old now, and he just does not want to stop playing concerts. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, I mean, what can you say? But I mean, like, it's relatable, too, because... There was Bobby Osborne at 86 making a record. And I mean, Bobby said to me, you know, making this record's really kept me alive. And I think the pursuit of music and the pursuit of the next creative mountain is what drives us on. And it is what keeps us alive and keeps us vital. So, I mean, I think most musicians aspire, you know, to die in their bus, like, you know, doing the next show, because that's that's where the passion is. 
Yeah. I mean, I just can't imagine a world that Paul McCartney is in and he's not touring, you know? I know. Or foresee a world without Paul McCartney in it, period. I mean, that's that's the real nightmare, right? Oh, yeah, I know. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, he's immortal. Like, he mm-hmm. will always be there. Yeah, well, certainly the legacy the Beatles have left. I mean, I can't, I, I'm hard-pressed to think of another musician in any genre at any time that's left a more powerful legacy than the one that they have. Allison, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and being a guest. And thank you for recording that wonderful mashup of Here Comes the Sun titled Sun and Water. I'll leave the links to your website and social media in the podcast description so people can check it out. And once your new album comes out, I'll put that link in there too. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show, Jack. It was really great to talk to you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Here, There, and Everywhere podcast. Thank you, Allison, for coming on the show. If you're listening and you'd like to hear some of her music and check her out on social media, you can find all of those links in the podcast description. Be sure to follow us at Beatles Earth on all social media so you stay up to date with every podcast release. And be sure to tune in next week for a brand new episode with a new guest.